It's time for building the game, the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. Hello and welcome to Building the Game, a documentary podcast. Today is Monday, March 13th, and you're listening to episode 563. As always, I am your host, Jason, here today joined by game designer and pal of mine, Roscoe Shock. Welcome back, Roscoe. How you doing? Doing great, Jason. Glad to be back. Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you as always. You said, I want to come on the show and I want to push the technological limits of the show. That's what you said to me. <laughs> and we're going to do that today. It's yeah, it was a cool. secret sub goal. <laughs> Turns out uh, we figured it out. So that was exciting. I feel pretty smart about that, too. When you're like, oh, let's try and do this thing. And then I'm like, oh, we can do it this way. And uh, there was a time when I was like, let's try and do this thing. And I was like, mm, mm-mm, no idea. <laughs> just, just, just try. <laughs> um yeah, well, uh, what what have you been up to? You are going to Unpub soon, right? Is that when is that? Is that next week? This week? Uh, literally a week away. As we're recording this, uh, when this comes out, it'll be just a couple days away. So, cool. yeah, very, very, very soon. Well, I especially appreciate you taking time out to record with me before Unpub because, yeah, because I always know what kind of time constraint that is, <laughs> usually beforehand. <laughs> Yeah, I'm in, I'm in pretty good shape. I have one game that I need to make some goal cards for. Um, but uh, other than that, I'm feeling pretty pretty confident. And even if that doesn't get done, which but I think it will, uh, have plenty of time to get that tweaked in. Um, I have plenty of other games I could test as well. So right, what are you what are you hoping to test it on, Bob? Um, so the main three things are um, I have this newer game from this year called Barn Quilts. That's the one I need to make the goal cards for. So if you don't know what a barn quilt is, it's like a weird cross between a regular quilt and a hex sign, which is something that a lot of people in kind of the Rust Belt and Northeast, like, you know, especially of German descent, put on their barns, uh, these like weird patterns and stuff. So it, it's kind mm-hmm, of like mm-hmm. a combination of that where people paint these kind of essentially quilt square, quilt square patterns up on their barns just as some kind of like decorative thing. And it became like mm-hmm. a trend. So anyway, you're going to be doing that. You're going to be uh, drafting and, and making a pattern uh, in your Tableau. So that's that one. I have this one which I mentioned on the weekly call, which everyone else should join if you haven't already. Uh, just a little friendly reminder there. Um, it's kind of like a little bit of a bingo-inspired thing, but it's kind of inverted. And so um, the thing that comes out of the bingo cage is whose turn it is. Um, and then the bingo part is Uh-oh. kind of like the cards but the balls as cards in terms of the letters and numbers uh so that one i think is a pretty good one and actually i recently uh made some changes on a game that's been sitting on the shelf for a long time uh about making a restaurant like a fusion restaurant um so it's called five star fusion and it has a drafting thing as well but essentially you have uh, it's more of a storage puzzle so there's different cuisines and you're trying to make these fusion meals, but you only have a certain amount of space, both in your freezer and refrigerator kind of storage. And then you also have like heat lamp kind of storage for stuff that's cooked, but every turn, everything moves down. And if it gets to the end, it gets trashed. Right. So like if you had thawed for food and didn't cook it, you, know, you have like raw ingredients, then they get trashed. And if you cooked food, but it sat too long, then it also gets trashed. So it's kind of a timing storage puzzle, but it's uh mm-hmm probably family weight plus uh it's not too heavy but uh 
yeah, it's uh, it's working pretty good. So I want to test it some more, see where it's at. Cool, cool. So those games sound interesting to take. Uh, I'm I I'm very familiar with barn quilts uh, and fusion restaurants, but I love barn quilts. So the idea of being able to do a game that is uh, that's barn quilts that's right up my alley. Um, we actually have quite a bit of those in Michigan, like in the farm area where I live, and actually. Game designer Ken Franklin, uh, I believe his wife uh, has a barn quilt uh, up on their barn. She does quilting and she's like amazingly talented at it. And um, yeah, so I think they have a barn quilt up on their uh, barn by Franklin Farms there where they live. Cool. Cool. Yeah, I think it's a thing that uh, especially like uh, the Midwest and the Northeast, like people probably know what Mm -hmm. it is, but. uh, Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Very cool. Excellent. Excellent. Well, so yeah, we're going to, we're going to talk about a topic here and uh, I'm going to let you introduce the topic and then we're going to, we're going to, we're going to listen to something around the topic and uh, yeah, but I'll let you intro that. Yeah. So I'll even kind of um, intro what the the clip's going to be about. So this is a a clip from uh, building the game podcast episode 320 in that clip. Uh, Rob talks about a game that he had uh, someone had told him to get or whatever and brought back from Gen Con and he played it and uh, basically he really enjoyed it um, except it was too complex um, like twice as complex as he wanted it to be I guess is the best way to say it and we'll hear that Mm -hmm. more in the clip and and some more details and so um, what what this topic that that I wanted to kind of discuss is um, uh, after listening to that clip a little bit while later I decided well I'm going to try to make this game that I thought Rob was suggesting he wanted, whether that's exactly true or not, it's hard to say, but what I heard him say, what he wanted the the game to be. And so Mm -hmm. um, it's just a little bit of a discussion. um, And I have some, some stuff that we'll kind of go through here about how this game evolved and how um, sometimes you have to listen to the game that you're designing, right? You, You start out with a certain vision, there's certain things and, you know, you can even set a cornerstone of what you want it to be. And then sometimes you have to change away from that. And sometimes you just have to give up on piece, uh, pieces that aren't working, right. That are not fun or, or whatever. Right. You know, definitely there's some kill your darlings part of this too, but I think sometimes yeah. um, you have, I mean, at least for me, there are certain games where I design them and they, they work maybe without a lot of changes and that's awesome. But sometimes like, you have to kind of let the game tell you what it wants to be, I guess is the the big thing for me. So that's happened to me several, several times. So it's not, I don't think it's like a unique phenomenon, hopefully for others either, but yeah, it's just to encourage people to sometimes like, you know, take a step back and listen to your game and, and let it become the game that it wants Mm -hmm. to be or needs to be. Awesome. So shall I uh, play that clip then? Sure. Sure. Let's do that. And then we'll. Sounds good. So it's about a six minute clip here. Uh, The other, the, the, more exciting thing that I played, though, um, uh, my friend Arden is a, a big fan of uh, Japanime Games uh, Library. And uh, and at Origins, I was texting with him, and he said, hey, if they've got the terrifying girl disorder, pick that up for me. So I picked that up for him. Yeah. And uh, and we uh, we uh, met with him and his wife uh, a few weeks ago to hand the game off to him, and, and we gave it a shot. And... Um, do you remember when we played Kenzumi Goddess so many years ago? Another Japanime games uh, joint. Um, we were kind of we were making fun of it because of the subject matter and because of the art. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, again, you know, 
like what you like, and if you're into that, more power to you. No judgment for me. It's not our thing, generally, though that that art style. Um, but we also we expected the game just to be to be marketed based on the art. But it, actually, the game was pretty fun and pretty smart. Um, design wise, though, it had a lot of problems with text. T- it was tiny, tiny text on those cards. It was packed in really densely and hard right. yeah. hard to read and hard. To, it was just it was laid out poorly. Um, and, and the art was not bad. Obviously the art was beautiful art. It's just the subject matter was not our style. Um, so when we sat down with, uh, the terrifying girl disorder, uh, I, I, my initial impressions were much the same. It, it doesn't have, it doesn't have the same art style that, that, that extreme anime boobs everywhere kind of art style, right? It was much more reserved and the art was, was very nice, but design wise, graphic design wise, um, the text was teeny, teeny, tiny on the cards, uh, and, and crammed in and hard to read and hard to see. You know, if I if I was 10 years older, I wouldn't be able to read the text because my eyes wouldn't be good enough to, to read it, right? Um, so I was kind of kind of a little frustrated about that again, but it was, again, consistent with their style. But that made me stop and think, okay, well, so this, this art is not exploitative the way I expected it to be, so that's good. Right, that is good. Thinking back to Kanzumi Goddess, thinking, well, maybe there actually is some gameplay here. And I'll tell you, it ended up being one of the most interesting card games I've played in years. That's crazy. Really, really liked it a lot. Um, but it's a super, super brain burner. Like every turn, every turn you have to to, to try and optimize your strategy. You have to, to think really hard about, you know, eight different possible actions now and on the next turn and at the end of the game. And the game was, mm-hmm. only, was only played in five rounds. And you wow. it, um, just the, the, the possible combinations and possible permutations are are I uh, not infinite right but but so Enough. vast right. right so vast that I was struggling to keep up with it so the risk of of AP in this game is astronomical um but to kind of kind of give folks a, a basic concept here it, it is a set collection game but you don't necessarily know what kind of set you're going to be able to score until the end of the game um the the concept for it or the, I guess I should say the story behind it is that is that all the players woke up with amnesia and all you don't know who you are. All you know is that, is that you're a girl. You're some schoolgirl, and and you've woken up with amnesia, and you need to figure out which of the seven girls in the game you are. Okay. Okay. Um, and and at the end of the game, uh, if you have the most of one girl in front of you on the table, then that's the girl you are. Okay. And you're gonna score her set bonuses. Ah. Okay. Uh, okay. Right. Um. But what what makes it interesting is that uh, you have a hand of cards, and and each card is just one of the seven girls. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the same number of girls in the deck, or, or seven girls in the deck, and this, I think it's the same number of each girl in the deck as well. Um, and on your turn, if you, uh, you're gonna you're gonna play a card, uh, well, you're gonna play one girl down, but you have to play all the cards of that girl from your hand. Okay. Okay. So if you have three of girl A and one of girl B, if you want to play girl A, you have to play all three of girl A. Right. Okay. Right. You can't hold any back. Like Las Vegas style dice placement. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, and then for the rest of the game, if you have girl A in your in your in your play area in front of you, you can't play any more girl A cards. Oh, yeah. Snap. So that's it. So so if you ever want to play any more a, girl A cards, you got to get rid of them somehow. And right. so other girls, and, and and then when when you play, so you play those those three girl A cards, you're gonna take get to take the girl A action, and all seven of the girls have their own unique action. Okay. And so so later on, you're gonna play girl. F and girl F will her power might say 
you can discard all of one girl type from your thing or okay and so so you can start to see how that kind of the complexity there and all the different actions different ways of moving things around really just starts to pile up on on each other and then to add on top of that is the set scoring um, every girl has a different set scoring structure. Right. Where one, you know, it, you know, if if you're this girl at the end and you have one card and that's the only thing you have for mm-hmm. her, you're going to get ten points. Oh wow! But if you have two, you're going to get eight points. And if you have three, you're going to get one point. Ouch! You know. But if you have five, you're back up to ten points. Oh wow! You know. And and, and so every every all seven of the girls have a different weird funky scale. And in some cases you want a lot of girls. In some some cases you want you know the, as few as you can. It, it it's just so the complexity is just mind boggling. But I loved it. I absolutely awesome. loved it. And and like I I got done with it. And I, my first thought was, oh my god, I need to play that again right away. My second thought was, okay, when I get to Gen Con, I'm going to buy a copy of this game for myself. <laughs> And then the third thing I thought was, I wish I could play the game that's fifty percent as complicated as that game. Right. If I could, if there was a game that was was half as complex, that might be my new favorite game over wow. Tausch Rausch. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I would highly recommend it for anybody who wants a a, a card game, um, but prepare yourself for that complexity, for that that mind bendingness of it, and don't play it with people who are prone to AP. Right, right, right. Um, sounds like it. Yeah, so I really dug it a lot, though. Cool. So very. Cool. Haven't been able to get it out of my head ever since. Well, that clip, uh, that was a blast from the past. That was uh, like two hundred plus episodes ago. My goodness. Yeah, yeah. When I look back at the date, it was uh, summer of twenty eighteen. So oh, wow. quite, yeah, quite a quite a long time ago. That sure was. Uh, yeah. So. Um, yeah, just to jump into that as, as a jumping off point. So, um, what what I heard Rob say at the end of that uh, clip was that um, he really liked this game, Terrifying Girl Disorder, mm-hmm. and it was just too complex by uh, twice as hard as as uh, it needed to be. And so um, that was kind of the inspiration to create the game that at least I thought he was asking for, right? Like mm-hmm, a game mm-hmm. that was very similar and. Uh, and but it had a lot half a complexity, right? And so, right, um, right. just to to kind of recap, because I think not all of it got uh, explained uh, in Rob's clip, but um, where there's all this complexity is in, in terrifying girl disorder. And so, the one thing uh, to be clear about um, how this works is there's three main areas: the draft, the kind of action step, and the scoring at the end. And the draft, the way that works is um, based on number of players, you put like three or four cards in a circle. Um, and so each player takes a turn and they put basically a marker and that marker is really just saying where they're going to draft from and but either to the and, left or the right. Correct. Of that right. Marker. Yeah. Right. And it's the active starting player that gets to decide that, but they decide that after everyone has placed their marker. Right. So putting two markers next to each other is a bad plan. They're just going to go the other way. Right. 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 So you're basically just deciding that the, the evenly distribute around the circle anyway. So it's a little bit of an unnecessary step. Now, the second part is after you place a marker, there's another step where you must swap two other cards in the circle for Mm -hmm. reasons. And it's just like unnecessary complexity that just like, yeah, sometimes that could create some interesting decision, but it's mostly just like a pseudo random decision, right? Because the next player can place their marker and swap those cards back or swap two other cards. 
And so, like, it's almost feels a little bit random. Well, I mean, right. And what's the difference between just doing it random and doing that? Right. I think the difference is the mental state of the player is like, oh, I'm making a plan. And then it's like, no, you're not. Like, whereas if it was just random and you had to choose, at least you would feel like there was no plan. And then you were making, you know what I mean? You were just taking actions. I think it feels more disingenuous to make the player do that. And I, I did play this game with Rob at Gen Con. He did buy it. We played it. Um, and it was great, except for <laughs> that it was really complex and there were just some unnecessary bits. Yeah. So I agree yeah, with you. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes there is, um, you know, games have complexity for complexity's sake and it doesn't really give meaningful actions or the ability to plan and some of that stuff. So you have to be careful with that. So that's one of the things that he was complaining about. So the draft is, place your marker, swap cards, and then everyone does that. And then the first player goes back and they decide whether they were drafting clockwise or counterclockwise. And so it's just a lot of complexity just to pick mm-hmm. up three cards. Right, the, second right. part, the second part is now you've got cards and you have to choose one of the seven um, characters uh, in the game to lay down. Now, the interesting thing about this step is, I think this is the hook of the whole game is, it's a set collection where you can only collect each one of the sets once, right? And so mm-hmm, if you mm-hmm. if you put down girl number one, whatever their names are, I forget, um, you can't, except for uh, a breaking rule uh, action, but generally speaking, you can only play that girl, collect that girl once. And then the next turn, you can only collect a different girl. And the thing is, there's only five turns. And so right, uh, right. there's seven girls and only five turns. So obviously you're not doing a whole lot of set collecting. Now, um, the other thing that happens is uh, there's a combined step here. And the combined step is you pick which girl you want to lay down and you must lay all of them. And the secondary part is whichever each of the girls has a unique action that happens when you play them down for points. And so, and these are not just like you get a bonus. They're very like, some of them are take daddy, some are very swingy. So like one of them mm-hmm. is like, mm-hmm. everybody must discard every girl that they've already played of type seven or six. Or everybody must just discard one or take any girl from any other player. And so it's really hard. It's just like this extra layer of complexity where. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's cool to have a decision that's tied between which girl you're going to get points on and which action you want. But the actions don't really fit with the rest of the stuff. So they're just almost like too random. Well, and, and I remember, too, um, you know, one of the, the the things about this, Rob Rob said in the clip, like, don't play this with somebody who's going to get AP, right? But it's not it's not AP. It's it's overwhelming amount of information. And you know like when you're playing a game and there's like that one rule when we were like working on a design and people always seem to forget that rule. Like, oh, they always forget to do this this step in the turn. Then you have to like ask yourself like why is that, right? Is it because the step's not needed? Is it because it's not clear? And like missing steps and things like this in this game are so easy because there's so much text that you have to read to try to do that right um and so when you're taking these steps you know like oh do this and now this girl like i don't know it's you it's it's literally impossible to plan right so you've got this weight of this game that feels like it should be like strategic but it's just this randomized thing where you know like i don't i would challenge someone to be good at that game right <laughs> you know yeah yeah and and the third part of that which which uh kind of complicates what you're already talking about is that 
each of the seven girls um, scores differently, right? Some they're not all just like linear or triangle mm-hmm. scoring or something like that. Some of them are like, right, right. Um, you want a lot. Some of them you want not very many, and some of them like you only want four. Like you don't get any points unless you have exactly four. And so you know, <laughs> I can imagine. I've never played this game, but I can imagine just sitting there staring at my play read the whole time, trying to figure out what the heck is even going on. Yeah, yeah. and and the point you make uh, a second ago, which is, which is kind of apt, is that like when you have this much complexity for the sake of complexity, it almost it overwhelms players, and they're just like, mm-hmm. I, I don't care, right? Like it's right. cool to have two, three, four options, right? Because like you're trying to figure out the next path, and this action will trigger another action. But when you have fifty choices. You're just like, right. I, I don't, right. I can't even. And just like, I'll just pick something, I guess, because like, I have no idea. You know, it's like, we're not a computer or whatever to like figure out right. the right. optimal combination of like 12 parameters or eight. And it's, not, saying. Like, and it's not even always choice, right? I mean, it's it's forced action where, like you said, you know, the one girl, you have to have four, right? So do you play four? Because if you play four, then you have four. But you can't play more after you play one unless you happen to have a card that would let you play one. But somebody could also make you discard that card if you've already played it. And now you've got three. So do you play five? Like, I mean, like, it's just. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. yeah. So just a double set. So that's where we started. Right. So mm-hmm. um, this is the the too much complexity. There's still kind of the, the three areas. Right. There's a draft. There's a laying down sets part and a scoring part. So that's what I set out to try to make the game that I thought I heard Rob ask for. Um, the, the initial game has like 75 cards or something. Um, so I set out initially to have a single 54 card deck, right? Keep it cards, try to keep it simple. Not a lot of component. The things that I thought were really the, the keystones is one, that whole, uh, set collection where you can only collect each one once and that each set uh, of cards, um, had some unique ability that did something. I thought that was all pretty cool. And so, yeah, that is, um, that I, is very cool. So there's seven girls in the, in this. I, I decided to go with like six things and just do nine of each. So there's nine cards of each of six things. That is one thing in the terrifying girl disorder. There is another thing that you have to factor in is for some reason, there's a variable number of all the different seven girls, right? So it's not even like statistically, you don't even know which one's more likely to show up in the next round or whatever, because they're all, <laughs> right, right. They, they all, they all have a different count. So yeah, another complexity yeah. for no reason. So <clears throat> I decided to start with with uh, butterflies, so I just picked something at random just to have a starting point, right? So six butterflies and six colors that had six abilities. Um, and so <clears throat> the next thing we needed uh, to kind of to think about is like a draft, right? So the, the initial draft was the circle with the, the marker and the direction and the swapping and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm, and that just mm-hmm. seemed like way, way too complicated. So I spent some time thinking about it, and I come up with this idea where you just drop um, 16 butterflies in a four by four grid and the first player drafts any column or row, um, but there's no refill. And then the other players mm-hmm. have to decide um, to draft a column against a row where they would only get three or pick one of the other rows and they would get four. Right. So you have to pick quality versus quantity, et cetera, kind of thing. And I didn't, hadn't never played or heard of Cat Lady at the time, but they have a slightly similar one. Although there's just kind of three by three and it refills each step. But anyway, mm-hmm. it's a pretty simple uh, drafting concept, right? You just see it. It doesn't change. There's no swapping. Somebody takes something, you take from what's left, right? So it's mm-hmm. pretty easy to see and, and pretty, you know, there's not too much complexity there. Um, <clears throat> I also decided to drop the scoring to be just triangle 
Um, so right. for each that for each sense. of the types, for each of the sets, you just get triangle scoring and you add them up, right? Like we're trying to like make the fun part about like managing the the sets and when you collect them. And right, so right. Um, as we talked about the on, on the terrifying girl disorder cards, uh, what you play and what you um, when you get what action you get are tied together. And sometimes that can be an interesting choice. There's lots of things that have that coupling, but I decided to separate that out. So you had two decisions, right? So the way this works is um, you draft, you play whatever set you want, right? As many as you want, you don't have to play all, but you can. Mm -hmm. And then there's kind of like a hand management step. And what I did was instead of making all the actions uh, kind of like things that affected your Tableau and everyone else's Tableau, they mostly just affected your hand. So uh, yeah. you can pick a certain color butterfly and that just lets you draw two cards just blindly off the, the library. Or there's some that like um, swap a card in your hand, swap some cards in your hand with what didn't get drafted or draw three, but discard two. So you draw less, but you get to filter more and see more cards. And then there were some other ones that let you um, kind of break the rules. Again, if we, I initially had this five turns, just like uh uh, terrifying girl disorder and there are six types of butterflies and so i have one that lets you play extra butterflies right so it like basically gives you another uh kind of set collection step but to do that you must discard that card right so you're losing some of your hand um, and ability to collect those sets to get an extra action that, that lets you do something right so right so i you know i felt like i captured a lot of the same things and um wanted to, you know, start testing it. And so the thing that, that we found, uh, I had a, a local design group at the time um, that was monthly. And so we played it a couple times with a lot of designers. And um, the thing is, I basically kind of moved, removed too much of the game. Now, not saying that Terrifying Girl uh, mm -hmm. is, is exactly what needs to be there, but it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't that fun, right? Because what happened is, when you have you would get dealt a hand to start and then you would just draft and you get three or four cards you lay down three cards maybe you discard a card and then you do that five times and so like the games could really you know there there wasn't the draft yeah you could make some strategic decisions to try to get extra sets but it, it's you know it turned into like a 15 minute game that mm -hmm. most of the time your your decisions were fairly obvious um there just wasn't enough complexity there wasn't any spots where you could feel clever um and we basically had had kind of like paired stuff back too much and right, so right. you know that that's kind of what what i wanted to get at in this in this thing is like you know you might start with a certain thing and sometimes it just doesn't work out right and so um we don't want to add back in what was in the terrifying girl disorder but maybe we want to add in some some other stuff like what can we do to kind of like right. have more uh choice more ability to plan right like you know especially in these kind of set collection games, I find that like you want some kind of ability to plan and be clever and combo stuff off. And mm -hmm. the way this worked with just these butterflies is like, you just, you got whatever you got. The draft was like, since there were 16 cards and there's only six butterflies, there was a lot of redundancy in the, in the grid. So like, right, you know, right. you, that's a good point. There's just, yeah. there's just not that much you can kind of pick and choose from. So, you just took whatever had the most of a certain thing. So it really didn't give you that much of right, an interesting. Right. Uh, no, it uh, gives choice. you that like consistent optimal choice, right? That's you know, right. Yeah. 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 It it turned into too much of like, 
well, obviously you should do A and obviously you should do B, right? And then that's right. like no right. fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, it's never good when everyone else who doesn't know what cards you have in your hand is able to go, oh, you should do this one. <laughs> Hands down, right? Right. right. So <clears throat> what I decided was, well, we need to add something back in. And so sticking with this butterfly theme, which was just a, a placeholder, essentially, um, I was like, well, what are butterflies? <laughs> what, what are they kind of involved with? And so I was like, well, butterflies used to go to flowers, right? And so what I decided to do was um, split the deck into half butterflies and half flowers. Mm-hmm. Um, so initially there were six colors of butterflies that had unique abilities. And so I went to add six flowers, right? And so then the idea was like, you need flowers and butterflies, but really you're only scoring butterflies. So I thought that was kind of interesting too have stuff you have to kind of set collect, right? You have to have a flower to get a butterfly, but mm-hmm. only the butterflies score, right? The, right. So the flowers right. are just enablers. But the thing then, it, we have a little bit of a problem of like, okay, well, how do we like, you have to get the blue one with the blue one. Like that gets a little bit um, complicated and right. unlikely right. to happen. So one thing I did was I made all the flowers um, kind of dual colored. They could affect, attract two different kinds of butterflies. So, um, yeah, any flower would would attract a third of any of the butterflies that were in the game. And so now, with two types of cards, where essentially there's 12 unique cards uh, because mm-hmm. of six flowers and six butterflies, now in that um, um, in that four by four grid, which I was calling the garden, mm-hmm. you have choice. It, it, yes. There is no an obvious thing, right? Like, are you trying to get butterflies of a certain color, or are you also trying to get flowers? that are blue or green or green or red or, or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Right. And so the decisions for the draft became a lot more interesting. Um, and so then you could kind of plan stuff out and you could, you know, if somebody went a certain way, you could, you could kind of pick a different thing to go. Um, but the thing still kind of remained that um, five turns, the way the initial structure was just kind of not enough time to do this. Right. Um, and so you needed kind of more turns and, and actions to do this. And so one thing that I started to do in this set collection was to um, try to get that uh, combo feel back in, right? And so mm-hmm. yeah, the initial idea always was you can play as much as you want of any single card. And so the way I tried to, to pull that in was um, if you laid a flower, you could lay as many flowers of that exact type as you want. And since you're laying a flower, butterflies are immediately attracted from your hand if they match either of the two colors. Right, right. So now you get a chance to play flowers and butterflies kind of as a combo. Now you could still just play butterflies if you have enough flowers to get points that way, right? Because Right, right, because you could have played flowers that didn't have anyone to attract, right? So that you could play them, yeah. Sure. And so the point is you can try to like set up big turns or you can just lay what you have for this turn. Um, And so you have choices and you can kind of like go one way or the other. And that was definitely the start of when the game became uh, a, a lot more fun. And mm-hmm. um, the the one thing that um, kind of soon became apparent, I was testing this at a um, game design retreat, which has been kind of like, we had it a couple of years and then the, the pandemic kind of destroyed it. So I've been trying right. to get it back, but it's been hard to find time that works for everybody. But uh, in any case, I playing with a bunch of designers. And the one thing that became a different problem was um, 
now that I had the flowers and the, the butterflies, I had gone from one deck to two decks. But the one issue you have is as you're laying down all these flowers and butterflies in your own kind of tableau, you're really shrinking how many cards are left. And especially if you want this to play, you know, like up to four or maybe even five players. And so every card you lay down, it's a flower, which attracts a butterfly. And then now pretty soon, like if you have 16 cards in your tableau and there's four mm -hmm. players, that's already more than one deck. Um, and you don't want this to turn into a right. thing where you're constantly shuffling or you need five decks right. of cards right. just to do this. Right, because you still need the the what I've been calling the garden, which is where you draft. That's sixteen cards. You have a hand, which is seven up to seven cards or whatever. So you have all these cards, which is fine. Um, but like, how do you kind of manage that? And then the second part was, how do you play these cards so it just doesn't feel like it's a bunch of cards just laying all over the table, right? And so because right. of the circular nature of how the flowers are each two colors they kind of go around in a circle in terms of the pairs, right? So you have, it's mm -hmm. one or two, two or three, three or four, and then back to six or one, right? And so you kind of need this circular shape to kind of like capture where you can play your flowers versus, and, and butterflies on them. And so eventually that, that kind of like unsettling feeling of just dealing with all these cards in front of you turned into a board. And by having a board with tokens, you lay your flowers, mm -hmm that gets you the tokens and then you put them on a board that looks like this nice little butterfly garden and you've does, played this game yeah. so you you've seen the the, yeah, yeah. the art for it and it looks pretty cool it does i think this is actually the first game i ever played by you um so was it i played yeah, it at possible. the conrad uh hotel in their game room we we had the one year so yep yeah it was like probably what 2019 gen con or something yeah um so. But yeah, it's with the board now you get a couple things, right? So you don't need four decks of cards. Two is probably fine, even for five mm -hmm. players. Um, now you do have to add the tokens. Um, but the one thing you do with the with the board is you now get this sense of completion, right? You get that building mm -hmm. up, that making patterns, and, and all those things. And so um, this thing evolved from being like one deck of cards <laughs> to now it's like two decks of cards and tokens and a board. <laughs> right, but, right, right. You know, sometimes that's that's what you have to do before the game really sings, right? You have to get to the mm -hmm. point where it's really doing um, what it wants to do. And some of that's not just about, you know, I, I think one thing we have to be clear, or at least for me, in my opinion, um, sometimes we take feedback and like, well, you know, is feedback what the game's trying to tell you or is that what somebody else wants your game to be, right? right and so that's something right. you have to balance. Um but if if you get to the point where the game is what you want it to be, mm -hmm. you know, if you're willing to be introspective and, and think about it, and the game is just not fun, it's just not singing, it's not doing the things that you had hoped it would be, then yeah, you can use that feedback to explore options for that. But <clears throat> to me, sometimes you just have to let the game um, like tell you what it wants to be and not get too yeah. caught up on yeah. on what it is. And so. There's a lot of other things that got added along the way. Like there's a lot more comboing now. When you lay a flower, um, that lets you get a butter or sorry, yeah, a flower that lets you get um, what's well, actually not even butterflies anymore, hummingbirds. But the point remains the same. Right, right. Um, uh, you lay a flower, you get a butterfly, and when you do that, you get an extra card back, right? And so like the game is teaching you how to score points, right? right because right. the the more you do that, lay have a, a matching flower. And a butterfly, 
not only do you get more points, but you get more cards, which makes it possible for you to do even more things, right? And mm -hmm. so I think that like adding things like that um, to help the game do what it wants to do, right? To help it do it more and better. Um, it's always good to encourage your players to do the thing that helps them win, right? Players want to do the, <clears throat> they want to do the fun thing, right? And if the fun right. thing makes you lose, that's always like not very satisfying. In 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 there are plenty of published games that do that. Um, as a quick aside, most notably the one that always pops in my head that's that's very guilty of this is the game Citadels, which I think is a great game. But the most fun part of that game is building the fancy, like you know, you're trying to you're putting up buildings every turn, basically, right, to build your city or your quarter of the city and they have these purple locations that are amazing and they do tons of fun stuff and they break the rules and building them is awesome but if you want to win building them uh more than one of them is not the how you win right but it's fun so like every time i play the game i build all purple locations and lose but have a great time doing it um because it's fun right and so in that case the game is teaching me to to lose by doing the thing that is most enjoyable in the game so yes totally back that up that you want the players to the fun should be what's guiding you towards the goal right not what's pushing you away from the goal yeah <clears throat> yeah i agree there there are lots of games where like they tried to hide the fun too much um and, and i mean some some of that too i mean you have to you have to take it in context so this is like probably uh this game which i'm currently calling hummingbirds um is kind of family weight plus so it's not mm -hmm. like you know heavy you know, five hour euro of, you know, 3.8 right, right. weight on BGG, right? And so in those games, like, it's <laughs> fine to hide, to hide the fun, right? Because that's not what you're doing. You're trying to, like, you're playing a game like that to get beat up, right? Whereas, but if it's, if it's a 2.3 weight, you know, game that's mm -hmm. for families and, and, uh, and, you know, lighter players or whatever, then, like, you don't want them to do that, right? Because if they, they play that game, they're just going to be turned off and say, these games are, like, not what they're, right you know right it's just like when you have a box cover that says a game is you know and, and you and rob actually talk about in the clip about some of these games like the the art style and the the packaging and things make it seem like maybe it's just like light short uh breezy game and then you open it up and it's like a brain burner right, right. like you know you're selling the whole experience it's not just one part of it right it's the mm -hmm. the art the packaging the product and so and the game has to deliver on it's promise, right? And so I think that's yeah. kind of a good way to say it too, right? Like, what's the promise of your game, and mm -hmm. you know, how do you listen to what it wants to to kind of be? So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's a lot of what, what the the journey for this game has been. Um, I think it's pretty much done and pitchable now. Um, I haven't uh, been breaking it out recently. I'm pretty happy with where it is. I will have it at Unpub um, next weekend. It was not my main thing. I'll be testing, but. Uh, if anybody listens to this and wants to check it out and see what it's about, uh, I'll have it along so uh, we can uh, we can break it out. It only plays two to four right now, but um, that's just because of the drafting thing. But right. um, and I really enjoyed it. It was one of my favorite games I played that um, that year. I like I said, I still remember a lot about the game. Hearing you talk about it, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that. And <laughs> and if I play a game and don't care for it, unless it's awful, right? And then you remember. Uh, but <laughs> If it's just like, eh, that was all right. I don't tend to remember. And I, that one I distinctly remember playing and thinking like, this is really clever. So yeah, I would encourage people to try it out. Yeah. And and one of these days, maybe um, if I come up to um, Grand Con again, 
um yeah maybe we can like twist rob's arm to come down and and try it and see if i missed the mark completely or if i made the game that uh that he wanted that was like terrifying girl disorder in right, a lot of ways right. but but right. half as complex so i don't right, know <laughs> right. he's been playing games again so he hadn't played games for a while but he was messaging that they'd been they had unpacked all their games and had been playing them again so he did not mention this game but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. This it does, cool. it does feel like a game where, like, you know, I was thinking about this. Like, when you think about a game like a CCG or something that you play a ton and you really get to memorize the cards and the interactions, I feel like a group of players that did that would would feel that this game was incredibly rewarding and not too complex, right? But that's not what you get with most card games like that, right? Like people that are going to be like, we're going to play this game a hundred times and master it, right? It's just not how it works. Um, you're going to play the game a dozen times, maybe, and be confused a lot. So, um, so I really do think that that has a lot to do with it, right? Of like, if there is an audience for it, maybe if, if you're willing to like really, really dive into it. Um, and I think, you know, part of making your game sing is is if it does sing correctly, it will identify with the people who want to play it, right? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that's part of the thing, too, um, about the, the product part of, of Terrifying Girl Disorder. Like, because it, it feels to me like the biggest problem with it is you don't really have a lot of agency. You have a lot of choices. No. Yeah. But mm-hmm. with all that take that and the way the actions work um, that are kind of like uh, game altering, especially like they affect your your kind of scoring, right? Like that that's kind of like the one of the big uh, designer no-nos. Like, you know, take that, that's fu- is fine if the whole game is take that, right? Right, if, right. And take, people are much more tolerant of take that, like if it attacks your hand, but not necessarily your, your what you've scored points for right. already. Or vice versa, right. I feel like. It can't do both. Like when it does, right. Gubs was was the game I played that I I really hated for that reason. Is it messed with everything? Every everything you did could be thwarted by some other random card some person could play for kicks, and that was very unsettling and not fun. Yeah, and because that's the thing, then then you lose that agency and you lose this. It's not really strategic anymore. Mm-hmm. It's just that there's a lot of divergent complexity and. You, you just pick something and, you know, maybe, maybe that for that, for the people who designed this, I don't know them. Um, maybe that's the experience that they wanted, that, that they wanted the, the mostly about the ability to kind of mess with your fellow players <laughs> and not really right, about right. like, you know, the a more positive game of like making your own thing. So, you know, it's, I think terrifying girl is like highly, highly interactive. And uh, this, right hummingbirds game is the, the it's much more low in uh, interactivity but the there is still some fighting for the the draft right the garden mm-hmm. where you pick different mm-hmm. things um so you can still kind of block a little bit but it's much much more uh you know lower activity interactivity level which is right and what right what most more modern board games are doing right people want to we have enough conflict in life we don't need it in our games yeah. all the time either yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> agreed agreed Yeah, this is um this was a nice flashback of thinking about uh something that we talked to a little bit a long time ago and that it was actually had some relevance to you and to the people who listen. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, well, 
Yeah, and I, I, we t we didn't really talk about. Um, you kept remembering what this game was, but I, I all I had in my notes was that I knew that the this this design inspiration started from this this episode from a long time ago. Uh -huh. And so I had I actually had to listen to about clips of about twenty or thirty episodes to find <laughs> to find it to find right, it. Because, yeah, because it's not uh, it's not tagged that way because this is just no. like a a random game recap in the middle of the of the episode. So I had to yeah, go through a yeah. lot of the backlog to find this episode, but luckily I did. <laughs> yeah, you basically you knew a time range when it would be, um, and I was hoping it was a full topic, so I had went through looking for it as well. But the episode was called like all the games about death or something like that it had nothing to do with that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've gotten better with show notes, at least about uh, putting who was the guest. Beyond that, not so great. But uh, yeah. yeah, no, that part was fine. So it was yeah, it was it was also interesting um, to to kind of hear like the old to hear Rob on to hear the old intros and outros and mm -hmm. and just yeah. listen to yeah. um, all the stuff that was top of mind for mm -hmm. uh for you guys back uh, a couple of years ago yeah so. yeah that's uh it was interesting yeah to hear that for sure i mean things have changed so much with the podcast with us with the world since that time and it's just really really weird to think back to that you know i had i had gone through recently and um uh, I, I added up all of the guests we've ever had on the on the main episodes of the podcast and did like a spreadsheet to track who had been a guest the most times and uh, like, you know, who had been on. Like, so I included myself and Rob and like it was uh, there was a lot of me like looking at little bits of the episodes when I was doing that. Uh, and it was quite interesting to look through that and like, yeah. Yeah, just to be like, oh my gosh, like, and in the and it was funny too because, like, the people I didn't really know who the people were who were going to rise to the top. Like, I had ideas, but like, it was really interesting, uh, to um, yeah, to do that. So, a lot of flashbacks of late, <laughs> for sure. And uh, if you're ever, if anybody's ever interested or wondering, like, hey, what's up with like you know that and. Uh, how many uh like how many uh people are there and stuff who've been on shows and uh I did post that in the Discord channel. So um so yeah, I posted that in the Discord channel and uh it's a fun little uh it's a fun little thing to see like who the most common guests are on the show. Uh in the top fifteen, uh top fourteen actually, fourteenth place currently is is Roscoe. So um <laughs> which uh, will uh, only go up because several, some of these people aren't on anymore. So including Rob. So I don't know that anyone will ever catch Rob. Rob was on for 371 episodes. So I don't know that that's going to happen, but, but uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So good times. You're ahead of Josh Mills. You just passed Josh Mills by being on this episode. So you can feel really good about that. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know if he'll be at the pub or not. So maybe I'll run into him. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. If you run into him, uh, remember to thank him for uh, being from South Carolina because he loves that. He loves talking about how he's from South <laughs> Carolina. So, um, yeah, yeah. I got my wife one time to tweet about playing one of his games. And she was like the South Carolina designer, Josh Mills. And he was like, oh, come on, you two. <laughs> it's like, we will spread this. We'll spread this everywhere. So, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. Well, anything else you wanted to chat about before we're good here? 
um, yeah, just a reminder that uh, even if you're not coming to test your designs or whatever, you can come test other people's. Um, Unpub will be uh, in just north of Baltimore this coming weekend, um, the 17th, 18th weekend of March. Um, yeah, come. Uh, there'll be several hundred designers there. There's lots of events Thursday through Sunday. So, uh, yeah, come check it out if you're in the area, even if you just pop in for a couple hours. There's a lot of things and a lot of fun. And uh, come say hi to everyone. I know there's a bunch of uh, people in the BTG Discord that are going to be there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I wasn't going to go and I'm still not going to go, but I was like, oh, I can't go. Big deal. And then I was like, oh, come on. Like all these people I would love to hang out with, they're going to be there. Come on. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks again, uh, Roscoe, for being here. And um, listeners, thanks for hanging out with us. If you want to get in touch with us, you can, of course, go to buildingthegamepodcast.com. There you can find a link to our Discord and join our uh, weekly chat. Uh, also, you can, of course, email us at buildingthegamepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on the Twitter at PodcastETG, at J.A. Slingerland, and Roscoe was at Roscoe Shock. And, of course, you can keep coming back every single week. And until next time, good night. Good night. It's building the game with Jason and Rob. For tabletop game design, you really can't go wrong. Building the game, yeah, building the game. Hello, and welcome to Building the Game. Building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends. Building the game, building the game with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends. The end of the episode, that's when it technically ends.